passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We are back, everybody. It is John Pollock with you. This is our UFC 252 preview show. And joining us, a man that I have known for many, many years. He is uh, one of the foremost authorities, analysts, reporters out there. He is James Lynch joining us from Vancouver, British Columbia. And as Interpol would say, James, how are things on the West Coast? <laughs> things are great. What an intro, by the way. I got to give you props for that off the top. Uh, I don't think people have introduced me like that. But thank you for having me on. Always great catching up with you, John, and uh, happy to be on here talking some fights. You know, you have been uh, a bit of an inspiration for me, James, because during this, this whole pandemic, I have reverted to just working from home. And it was a, a very tough adjustment for me to just work at home. I like having that separation. But I have found it has worked out very well and i've like navigated it pretty well because i looked at like the amount that you can do churning out and you and i are in very similar positions we both have i think you have a two-year-old going on three yeah exactly he's gonna be three in a couple weeks i think our kids were actually a couple months apart or something yeah Yeah, i remember that because uh my son max just turned three in july but i have found it to be uh not anywhere near the uh, the concern I thought it was going to be working from home. And it's something that, I mean, you've done from the outside looking in seamlessly. Yes. Uh, well, I'm a bit luckier because I don't know what your situation's like uh, back in Toronto, but uh, our, the daycare that my son goes to, it didn't close because it was uh, it's like a family run daycare. So it's smaller groups. So luckily my son's at home because my wife's now at home too uh, with her job. So mm-hmm. that could have been difficult, but uh, no, it's worked out well. When we bought this house in 2018, uh, I actually converted what was a laundry room into an office. So it's worked out quite well and I got my own room and I got a bathroom and everything. So it's perfect. Like I got everything I need right here. Well, once upon a time, uh, we worked for a, a similar company, and I had to turn a, a broom closet into a uh, podcast studio. So you that's know right. Yes, I do remember. You worked like with got a little got. hot in the summer. <laughs> the famous dance studio. <laughs> yes. No. No. Exactly. And do you remember when you had an earthquake there? I was actually telling someone that story the other day. <laughs> <laughs> we had an earthquake once. Yes. And I remember one of our coworkers just uh, had not experienced an earthquake before, and that that is that is the person I remember most from yeah. that earthquake. I barely <laughs> noticed it, to be honest. You know, I, I remember that because uh, I was like, wait a second, like this, this shelf shouldn't be shaking. Like what's going on here? So yeah, that was, that was kind of interesting. Man, that G- was given the ago. time period, James, quite the metaphor yeah. being on shaky ground at that time. Yes, exactly. So exactly. Ago. Very good metaphor. Yes. Good call. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm glad to hear uh, you're, you're doing so well. As always, like you're, you're killing it with all your great coverage out there. And I just wanted to touch upon a couple of stories coming out over uh, the weekend uh, before we get into UFC 252. And a real intriguing one is the fate of Michael Chandler as he fulfilled the last uh, fight on his Bellator deal and what the future holds from him. I don't disqualify the idea that he ends up Bellator makes a very interesting offer to him but where do you see his value in the open market and given the pandemic where a PFL right now that to me is a very risky proposition for a fighter 
Yes, uh, I, I think Chandler's in a couldn't be in a better spot. I mean, you, you finish a former UFC champion, someone that hasn't been finished since 2014 in the first round, and now you're going into free agency. Like he absolutely killed it, and uh, and I, I think he's going to have a lot of suitors. There's a few options. You mentioned PFL. I mean, their season's postponed till next year, so maybe uh, not the best uh, move for him right now, even with the nice uh, paycheck at the end. It really depends what he wants. I have this theory that he's made a lot of good money already in Bellator. Mm -hmm. He's sort of been the face of them. So what is there left for him to accomplish? There's the rematch with Pitbull. Not exactly a big money fight. Um, You know, there's not many options for him. He's beat most of the lightweights in Bellator. So I almost, I I don't see him going back with Bellator just because he strikes me as the type of guy that, you know, wants to test himself. And, And I think that it's either the UFC, because obviously, so you're going to fight the best in the world. He's got a lot of teammates from Sanford MMA that are in the UFC, like Gilbert Burns and um, you know some of the other guys, Jared Gordon, that, that are training over there. So I think that's an intriguing option for him. And I think there's always been part of him that wonders how he would do over there, even at his age. I mean, he's not young, but I think he's definitely in the prime of his career. And then you have you know one championship where you've got that fight with uh, with Eddie Alvarez that he could do, but. You know, as a dad, do you want to have that much travel? Do you want to be going, uh, you know, and doing all that? And, you know, there's obviously, like you and I know, there's some questions about their finances with one championship as well, too. So I would think if I had to put this as a ranking, I would go UFC number one. I'd go staying with Bellator as number two. And then I put sort of PFL one championship in the third spot. But I, I do think he'll end up in the UFC. Yeah, I just like you look at that top 10, like there's there's not a bad fight to make there for Chandler. I guess the question is how competitive an offer does UFC make? Like how how aggressive will they be in offering Chandler what what could in theory be one of the last contracts he signs in his career if you're looking at a guy that's 34 that you know you want to make as much as you can in these you know last couple of years of your career I kind of get the sense, though, it's not really about the money. I mean, obviously, he wants to get a nice paycheck going over there. I don't think he'll get the money that, like, Eddie Alvarez or Hector Lombard got when they were in free agency because the lightweight division right now is one of their most stacked ones. I mean, you look at the top five, those are all big draws as far as some of the names in there. But I, I, if you look at Chandler, like, you just see him on – even on social media, like, he's got a lot of sponsorship deals. He's got a lot of things that are, you know, making him money outside of Bellator, and I'm sure Bellator is paying him handily as well, you know, putting him in main events and stuff. So I have a feeling he'd be willing to take a bit of a pay cut just to go to the UFC and just to test uh, things out because really for him if he stays in Bellator yeah I'll make more money but then what do you do like there aren't too many fights for him I don't know if you would consider moving up or or what the deal would be but uh, I just think the UFC seems like the best option and I really don't think money's uh, a huge priority for him as far as that goes just kind of the sense I'm getting just seeing what he's done with his uh, career in terms of you know making money uh, we're also coming off the the second episode of this uh, current season of uh, Dana White's Contender Series five fights on Tuesday night five contracts handed out which makes uh Eight contracts and nine fights between two weeks. Poor Jerome Rivera, the only winner not to be walking away uh, with, with a deal. But uh, I love this show. It's like such an easy watch every Tuesday night. And on Tuesday, we saw Impa, Kasanganai, TJ Laramie, Corey McKenna, Adrian Yanez, and Dustin Stoltzfus with just a gruesome ending to that fight where Joe P- uh, Pfeiffer's arm just snapped. It just looked uh, hideous. But uh, what did you think of some of the performances on Tuesday night? Uh, I was surprised all five ended up with contracts. I was thinking three max when they went to Dana White at the end. Well, yeah, Giannis for sure was going to get one. That was like a highlight reel finish fighting, uh, knocking out Brady Hung. Uh, TJ Laramie, I was a little bit worried just because it did end with an injury, even though Laramie was in a dominant position. But glad to see Dana was imp- as impressed as everyone else was. I mean, uh, a little bit of history. I'm sure you saw TJ Laramie, not only the first Canadian to win a fight on Contender Series, but also the first Canadian to get a UFC contract on mm-hmm. Contender Series. So really big win for him. And, you know, John, we've been covering the sport forever. When was the last time we had a really hot prospect coming to the UFC that was young? Uh, you know, it's been ages. So to see Laramie get the contract and, 
and do it the way he did was was really exciting. Corey McKenna, I can't believe this girl, 21 years old, already has a lot of experience in Cage Warriors. So for her to go out there and defeat an LFA strawweight champion in Vanessa Demopoulos, really good win there. Um, and Impa, great win there. But again, I was worried that he might not get the contract. I know it was the second time on the show, but going the distance, you never really know what Dana's thinking. So I, I think he made the right call, but you got to feel for some of these, uh, you know, fighters in, in you know, lower ranked uh, in their particular divisions in the UFC because they got to be sweating bullets knowing that they're going to do a bunch of cuts like they did last year. So uh, that's just sort of how it works. They sign these new guys, they can get them cheaper, and then they can get rid of some of these other fighters on the roster. So I see the good and bad in it, but I, yeah. I love Contender Series. It's such a good format. It's easy to digest. Um, they do a good job of telling the stories, and I think it's something that really should just stay forever and not bring back the ultimate fighter. I was really happy to see uh, Kasanga and I get the contract because you could even hear it in the commentary afterward. It's almost like a decision is almost treated like a loss that uh, there goes your hopes of a contract that you have to get a finish to get a deal. And I'm glad that that thinking, at least for one night, was somewhat adjusted because I thought he had a very good performance. And to me, you know, as was brought up, the fact that his age now, it's, you know, he's he's getting thrown into the into the fire pit because he's going to turn around in 11 days and fight next weekend. So yes. uh, it's going to be a very quick turn around there. So anyway, very uh, interesting uh, weeks of cards that we've got uh, on the Contender Series. As we shift focus to UFC 252, uh, I don't know about you, James, but, you know, we've known for a year. This was the heavyweight title fight to make. It, it made all the sense in the world. And when it was officially announced, I just had the sense this is going to be one of the biggest fights in UFC history. Several days out, where do you feel this one um the buzz is at for UFC 252 and do you sense that this is going to be one of those marquee title fights in UFC history? Uh, a lot to unpack there in that question. I love it. The loaded question. Um, for me, for. this is, this is, no, of course, got to keep me on my toes. Uh, no, I thought uh, a couple things. I mean, if I had to rate this as far as the interest level, uh, I'll use a, a steak reference. I think it's about medium rare. I think people are very excited about the fight. I don't think it's the type of excitement you had for, say, a Gaethje and Ferguson or like a, uh, you know, anytime Conor McGregor fights. But I mean, look who's involved. I mean, Steve Miosic, he's the heavyweight champion, but he's not exactly a, you know, a personality that people are, you know, just dying to see. But let's not overlook the importance of this fight. In my opinion, and I know some other people have suggested this as well, I think this is a fight that will determine the best heavyweight in MMA history, and that includes Fedor Emelianenko. I just think what's at stake here. There's so much, like how often is it that we have two guys that are that are at a, such a high level fighting for a title, and it's a trilogy fight, and it really could determine, you know, where they stand in history as far as, uh, you know, the heavyweight division goes. So, uh, I, I'm so excited for this fight. You know, someone asked me the uh, a few weeks ago, like, what fight am I most excited about? I mean, we've got Habib and Gaethje and Costa and Adesanya and all these great fights but this is the one for me because it yep. really like it's so rare to see a fight that's really going to determine a legacy for both fighters and I think it's so interesting with a lot of the things going in here you've got Cormier who's older who lost the last fight but has had a full camp heading into this whereas Miosic we know he's been working as a firefighter during COVID-19 so he hasn't gotten an optimal training camp heading into this one I mean no one's had it fully optimal but you get what I'm saying there um, I, I just think this is such a cool fight and I hope it after it's all said and done I hope this is you know one of those fights that we look back on and think of how important it was in history but uh and the other thing we got to point out is the odds i mean it's so close right now i think the odds have flipped a couple times i think currently right now at the time of recording this uh cormier is the favorite but i know for a while stipe was the favorite for a bit so it's really interesting and and like i said uh, i i mean i'm picking cormier in this fight but it's it's such a close fight that really if you if miosic goes out there and does it again i won't be shocked at all I think that's what makes it really intriguing for this third fight. It's not that they're just, you know, like, like with Kane Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos, like they, it was 1-1, but I think by the time, like that fight at UFC 155 to me was just so dominant by Kane that the third mm -hmm. fight, 
Like, I, I don't think Junior Dos Santos fully recovered from, like, the damage of that that third fight and to an extent the second one. But this to me, like, this trilogy, especially just the dynamics of fight number two and how it shifted in the fourth round, you could go either way. It's such a hard fight to uh, break down in that sense. And and what the the year away for Daniel Cormier, who's walking into this cage as at 41 years of age, uh, how does that play into things if we're looking at a fourth or fifth round this time? Well, that's just it. And then you got to think too, Cormier, if you look at the the two fights, he's basically been up four rounds to one. He knocked out Stipe in the first fight and then obviously was winning the second fight until Miosic made some adjustments and finished him here. So uh, we'll we'll see how Cormier looks. You know, age does catch up to everyone at a certain point with a guy like Cormier or Yoel Romero doesn't seem to be the case, but we'll see. I mean, and and again, these these guys have both had long layoffs. I mean, we're going to be about a year, uh, just over a year since they last fought. So how's that going to impact them being out for that long uh, in the fight? But uh, yeah, it's just, it's so interesting to see how this one's going to play out and and again this is like a perfect recipe right like so much on the line for the legacy so much on the line in terms of the actual fight itself like what it's going to mean and one other thing i wanted to point out because i see a lot of people kind of getting this wrong so cormier's basically said and i know it's mma but uh he said that you know he's going to retire win or lose on saturday right so how's he feeling going into this one i actually think that puts more pressure on him because if he loses i mean that's going to be you know that's devastating to, to retire off a loss like that Conversely, Stipe said that win or lose, he's, he's not retiring. And I don't blame him because I could see a scenario where even if Stipe loses this weekend, he could still fight for the title again mm-hmm. because he's got that win over Naganu. They could throw him right back in there for a vacant title fight and use his win over Naganu as leverage to get that fight. So, um, a lot of interesting things heading into this one. And that's sort of what I love to see a fight like this where you have so many just intangibles that you normally wouldn't get in a regular title fight. Yeah. And I guess it goes to that. Like we always kind of take promises of retirement with a a grain of salt and Cormier certainly extended that deadline, but I'm going into this assuming it is his last fight, even though I fully believe that victorious, he's going to have to turn down an enormous offer that I think will come his way for another fight that I think they will want to continue his career. But I, I do believe like mentally, he believes like this is, this is it for him. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. And just think of everything that Cormier has been through. Even Stipe, I mean, here's a guy that no one expected to be heavyweight champion, and and he's gone out there and and set the the record for most title defenses. And isn't it interesting too, John, that like you know when you think of this fight, you almost forget that Stipe is the champion. The way they've sort of marketed it as well. And yep. you know, Cormier is a commentator for the UFC. He's got a weekly show on ESPN with Ariel Hawani. Like as far as like fan favorites, DC's that guy. But Miosic is the heavyweight champion. It's kind of like an underdog story if he could go out there and, and get this win right now. And think about it. I mean, how often is the champion the underdog it's not too often that that happens so that's another sort of layer to this thing where it's like you know i think for those who have have looked at his career and just thought he would never amount to anything well here he could be the best heavyweight ever by defeating cpa or defeating dc for a second time one thing that we we've seen throughout the entire pandemic and running these shows is that when the ufc has had um a big pay-per-view, it's been that much larger. When we saw Gaethje and Ferguson topping 700,000 buys on ESPN Plus, uh, 251 reportedly over 900,000 just on ESPN Plus uh, alone. And I've got to think that given that it this is the trilogy fight, the way it's been marketed, um, ESPN's coverage, I mean, I think that plays a big factor. I mean, is this one that you see hitting that, that million number or do you th- see it coming somewhat below where 251 was last month with the three title fights? 
somewhat below, but don't underestimate the power of Sean O'Malley in the co-main event. I've been blown away by, uh, you know, I do those prospects videos. That's sort of a gauge of how, what the interest is like. I know it's kind of a weird metric that I use, but I mean, you look at the, the views on that video, like anything Sean O'Malley related is, is getting, you know, as much attention, if not more than the main event. So I think that having him as the co-main event is a nice bump there as well. And it's a big fight for him, right? This is a guy that even though he's not ranked in the top 15, I think people feel like Chito Vera should be in the top 15. So to have that as an extra bump to this entire thing, I think is going to really put things up. You've also got Junior Dos Santos on this card. Like, I think those pieces will help possibly achieve that million dollar number. But if not, I think it's going to be very close. This is a big, big, big card. So I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it does hit that number. Yeah, it's a great point. And it segues over to Sean O'Malley. This is his third fight already this year. He's been, you know, he's completely made up for those that two-year gap that he unfortunately uh, had had to sit out from but like this is to me Sean O'Malley is everything that was projected upon Aaron Pico playing itself out and this is a fight that certainly it just uh, springboards him that much further into the bantamweight into that hierarchy which is an extremely loaded division Uh, very important fight for Sean O'Malley on Saturday and a very tough opponent in Vera. What's interesting, Vera's never been finished in his career, right? So O'Malley, we've seen the highlight reel finishes. They're against, you know, competition that I would say is lower than Chito Vera. So the question is, can O'Malley do it again? We're going to learn a lot about Sean O'Malley in this fight. You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Edmund Shabazzian and Derek Brunson fight a few weeks ago in the sense that Edmund was knocking all these guys out. But when he got that step up, you know, he ran into a bit of trouble. I don't think that's going to happen here with O'Malley, but it's certainly going to answer a lot of questions because Chito Vera's not an easy out for anyone. Even though he lost his last fight, I think most people felt like he won. He realistically could be on a nice winning streak heading into this one and you look at some of the guys that Vera's fought I mean they couldn't finish him right so if O'Malley can't get that early finish and this fight does potentially go the distance who are the judges going to pick because Vera's the guy that will put you in a dogfight and he won't make it easy for you so I thought the matchmaking here is very interesting but the right matchmaking I think Vera's not a huge threat but he's a guy as well that you can't count out in a fight so we're going to learn a lot about O'Malley in this fight and I think if he does finish Chito Vera you see him get that you know that really big fight after Mm -hmm. this and potentially fight for a title next year if he does finish Chito Vera I don't want to look too far ahead here, but I think that's the way the UFC is going with this. And they're being very strategic about who he's getting uh, matched up with. As you've been like talking to a lot of fighters and watching during this time period where it's, it's such uncertainty and guys are, and women are, you know, some of them are not able to train at their gyms. Are you seeing th- like that bear out in, in a lot of the fights kind of a, as a big picture? Because there is a discrepancy between those that, you know, like a Stipe Miocic who has a home gym and others that, you know, don't have those luxuries. Have you seen that play out or have you been seeing overall performances at or around the level you would have expected in normal times? It's been mixed results because for some guys, they get to work in smaller groups. Like if you're in an American top team, you're not in a huge group getting lost in the shuffle. You're getting to work with smaller groups because they've, especially there because they've had some COVID cases. So they're really sort of narrowing things down. Look at someone like Tanner Bozer. He didn't even get to get a camp his last couple of fights, but he's instead he was able to focus on his cardio, shed some pounds. He's looked faster in there. He's looked better. So I think it really depends on the fighter and the situation they're in. But um, certainly, you know, for a guy like Stipe, that is something I'm looking at in this fight where it's like, hey, you didn't get to train for a couple months properly and even now i when i interviewed him a couple weeks ago he said he was only in the gym maybe twice a week that's gotta hurt his training camp when you got a guy like cormier who can go in there every day so i think it really just depends on the fighter and and who they're matched up with and everything but i I, you know you look at the results they've been mixed i mean for certain fighters it is impacting them and they're not getting that type of training they want um you know we look a guy like even like volkanovsky there's a good example didn't even get to train at city kickboxing and ended up uh, putting on a pretty good performance against max holloway and a controversial decision so to speak but still um you know it's it's really for for each it's it's really comes down to the fighter and how it's how it's best suited for them 
Uh, Junior Dos Santos, Jarzinho Rosenstruck here at heavyweight. I don't think we're looking at, you know, the, the next in line here, uh, by any stretch, but in terms of a uh, Rosenstruck, obviously looking to bounce back in this fight, uh, for Junior Dos Santos, I mean, at, at this stage is, is the idea of him being in that, that top mix, are we kind of removed from that when it comes to Junior Dos Santos? And how much does the outcome of this fight answer that question? Oh, it certainly does. I mean, here's an opportunity for, for JDS to go out there and, and get back in that contender spot, right? Because Rosenstrike, in my opinion, there's some questions about that winning streak heading into the Nagano fight. Even the Overeem fight that he had, he was losing it. He got sort of a last-minute finish in that one. So uh, we're going to get a lot of answers in this fight as far as that goes. Like, I think if you're looking at this fight on paper, I think JDS is the better fighter uh, between the two. If you look at the resume he's had, you look at uh, you know the accomplishments, the level of competition certainly is a lot better. And, and I see that he is an underdog right now. But saying that... He's taken a lot of damage, John. You'd reference the, the Kane fight. You've, he's been knocked out by Blades and he's been knocked out by Naganu and all these other fighters. So that adds up. Whereas Rosenstrike, not much damage at all. And then you got to add in the other factor. These guys are teammates in American Top Team. So I know uh, they're training at different gyms, but I got to wonder, are there some training partners that maybe he could have used for this fight that he can't at a loyalty? It's really tough to say. So um, I, I really sort of look at uh, what, what these two are sort of facing heading into this fight. And I actually think Rosenstrike's going to win this one because I, I, it's a three-round fight. Rosenstruck's got really good knockout power. If JDS throws a shot, is Rosenstruck going to go down? It's tough to say. Overeem couldn't do it. Naganu could, but Naganu's knocking out everyone. I think if Rosenstruck hits JDS, he's going to go out just with the amount of damage he's taken. It's more of a case of a guy that I think has taken too much wear and tear and a guy in Rosenstruck who, while he doesn't have the resume, he could uh, take advantage here. Yeah, I think that that's certainly the concern when you're looking at a guy in JDS. Like his last five losses, they've been they've been stoppages. He's 36 now. When, when you're looking at, you know, especially with, with a power puncher in Rosenstruck, and you add that to the fact that we are in the smaller octagon, how much stake or stock do you put into, uh, especially heavyweights in the smaller octagon? Do you think it's it's a it's a a large factor, or is it somewhat overblown in your estimation? Somewhere in the middle. I think it does help. We've seen more knockouts. Certainly, it's uh, you know we've seen that in, in a lot of the cards that are at the apex. You are seeing a lot of finishes. I, I think it depends on the fighter, and that's actually something we didn't even mention in the main event. Like I almost think that favors DC a little bit having the smaller cage because I think and you know people debated me on this, but I, I do think uh, DC packs a little bit more of a punch than Stipe does, even though Stipe's got the boxing resume, being a Golden Gloves guy. But uh, you know, back to this fight as far as heavyweights, um, yeah, I, I think it does play a role, and I think that's what the UFC likes going there. Aside from the fact you know they're not paying any extra money to host the events there, uh, you do see more finishes. So I don't think it's like the factor. I think it's somewhere in the middle between overblown and it being like the, the biggest thing ever. And you had you had quite the spirited interview with uh, Vince from Hell Pichel uh, recently. Yes. And, uh, you know, Pichel is uh, going to be taking on Jim Miller. This is obviously one that uh, kind of stands out on this undercard. But uh, just a- any uh, highlights uh, that you're looking towards uh, on the prelims leading into the pay-per-view? Yeah, a couple ones. I mean, we, we can mention that fight quickly. I think it's interesting that Jim Miller's the underdog in this fight because he's been a lot more active and, and you've just seen the ground game that he possesses. Uh, you know, I think that's that we can see another upset here with Jim Miller. Can't count him out. And it's it, I think people forget that Miller's actually younger than Vince Pichel. Like Pichel's that's 37. Crazy. That's his. I know. Like, crazy. I know it's it's one of those things you just you know you look at the fight and you're like oh yeah he must be younger but no Pichel has hardly fought I think he's fought maybe like once a year so I look at those things when it comes to, to breaking it down um, this Herbert Burns and Daniel Pineda fight's interesting I'm not sure why Pineda was brought in if you remember he had that no contest in PFL against Jeremy Kennedy he won the fight but he got 
popped for PEDs and now he's in the UFC again. It's a little odd and fighting a really uh, tough guy in Gil- uh, Herbert Burns. Uh, so that's an interesting one. Could be potential fight of the night there. This Felice Herrig and Janaroba fight's interesting because Herrig hasn't fought since 2018. What's she going to look like? I think Herrig's the better fighter on paper. But when you've had that long of a layoff and, you, and you're in your mid-30s, it usually doesn't bode too well. So that's another interesting fight. Um, and then this TJ Brown and Danny Chavez fight. Like Brown had a really disappointing debut in, in his uh, when he fought Jordan Griffin, ended up losing that one. Can he bounce back here against a guy in Chavez who's really carved out his teeth on the regional scene uh 10 and 3 record i think that's another fight we should be keeping an eye on you know brown's got a great ground game but he got submitted in his last fight so we'll see what the game plan is for danny chavez in this one but that's another one i would sort of keep an eye on but there's some you know not the biggest names on the undercard but there are some sneaky good fights uh that they've added and and you know even this christopher Dawkins fight parker porter Parker Porter, by the way, one of the best names in MMA. Uh, that's, uh, you know, that's that, that's awesome. Parker Porter actually fought John Jones in his third pro fight. A lot of people don't know that. 35 years old, probably didn't think he'd ever be anywhere close to the UFC at this stage in his career. But here he is fighting Christopher Dawkins, the brother of Kyle Dawkins, who's the UFC middleweight. So really fun one as well. So this prelims has a little bit of everything. Really looking forward to it. Very much a superhero alias in Parker Porter. Parker Porter, yes, exactly. It's like Peter Parker and, uh, yeah, Porter, I don't know. It's like Porter, the guy that's like uh, try, trying to sneak in backstage. It's like, what's your name? Uh, Porter, Parker Porter. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. In terms of, you know, that, that we've seen so many cards now rolled out like this, and it's going to be a long time before we're ever looking at, at fans. How have you, and I'm sure you've been watching uh, a lot of hockey as well, like compare this to like the other sports. How is the UFC, um, w- what's worked, what hasn't worked in this new environment where you're, you're, you don't have the foundation of a fan base there? You know, it's weird. With the UFC, I find it's not really noticeable. Like, obviously not seeing the fighters in the cage um, because they've done the split screen thing. I thought when Bellator last week did, like, the in-ring interviews where, like, the fighters six feet apart, that looked weird. But when they do the side-by-side letterbox, uh, you know, sort of remote-style uh, interview, I, I think it's fine. But I haven't really noticed it, to be honest. And I think it's because we're so used to watching, you know, the Ultimate Fighter Contender Series where there just mm-hmm. aren't a lot of people in the audience anyways. So I think it's almost been seamless. I tried watching the NBA a few weeks ago, and it, 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 it doesn't translate at all. There's so much much crowd involvement in that so it's like it's almost unwatchable hockey they do pump in the crowd noise a little bit so that hasn't been as noticeable either but i really i haven't found it to be too much of a difference like i just i sort of just treat it like a contender series card um and it's uh to me it hasn't really taken away at all so kudos to the ufc i don't know what they've done in terms of the production but to me it's looked pretty seamless for the most part i'm with you like i think from the first one that i watched it was i found it not only that it wasn't um weird to watch and like just watching like so much pro wrestling where it's been you know it's been hit and miss but it's been it lacks a lot whereas this like it was seamless for me like i i have not found really anything in fact in some cases like you you are able to hear a lot of things that traditionally you don't like there's it's an adjustment but to me it's it's worked out pretty well for them yeah. And, and I think, you know, uh, kudos to them. I mean, we thought these events weren't even going to happen. And if you look at all the other major sports, you look at what's going on in Major League Baseball, the disaster they're having with not doing a hub city. The UFC's kind of been ahead of this thing. And, and kudos to them because, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who thought this was a bad idea. And now the UFC have sort of been the leader on this, which is kind of crazy. Very 2020 of the UFC to be the, the, the leader of this compared to all the other major sports. Uh, you, you mentioned it off the top, like they have pretty much rolled out like their, their main events for all of their pay-per-views through November, um, beyond this weekend. I mean, where, where is kind of your interest focused on in terms of like the larger fights in the remaining months of 2020? 
I like the Adesanya Costa fight. Costa fight. Um, actually, just broke that down this morning on my uh, Rockfin channel. Uh, went sort of in depth on that one. I forgot how like interesting that matchup is because mm-hmm. obviously Costa's undefeated. Well, they're both undefeated, but Adesanya's got so much experience in terms of not just MMA but kickboxing as well. So that adds another layer to it. And then he had that bad fight against Romero, so that's interesting. Whereas Romero, the fight with Costa looked really good, so that's an interesting one. Obviously, Habib and Gaethje is going to be great. Um, you know, I just spoke to Austin Hubbard this morning, who's uh, trains with Justin Gaethje. He's already in there getting ready for his fight, uh, Gaethje, that is. Um, so that's going to be a fun one, especially with them having the same manager. That adds a little extra layer into this thing. And then, yeah, I mean, the rest of the year, I think there's a lot of just, uh, you know, fun fights that are kind of flying under the radar. You've got Holman Aldana, which was rebooked. I think that's going to be an interesting fight for bantamweight. And who knows what's going on with Amanda Nunes. So I think the UFC's kind of figured out their schedule. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, how are they going to survive without Connor and Masvidal and Jones and all these? Well, they're figuring it out. And they always do. You know, that's the one thing with the UFC. They, they have a backup plan if things don't go. And I think a lot of these fights are, are still pretty solid as far as what we got the rest of the year. So, again, kudos to the UFC for, for you know, making it work because they're, they're keeping us entertained every week. What is your forecast on John Jones over the next six to 12 months? I don't think he fights this year. I really feel like him and Conor McGregor, unless they throw some serious money at them, I don't see them coming back this year until there's at least some sort of crowds because I think they lose out a lot on their payday when when you're not having crowds there, um, unless they can somehow do it. But it's funny because the UFC says they're doing fine financially, but they don't want to fork out the money to do that. But I get it at the same time because it's like if you want to do John Jones and Francis, you're not doing that without a crowd. That seems crazy to me. And then even with McGregor, like what's a McGregor fight without the crowd? That just seems so odd to me. So I have a feeling until things maybe open up next year i mean who knows we're seeing a lot of cases still in the u.s so uh we'll have to see what happens but i I think jones probably doesn't fight till next year and i do find it interesting that they announced tiago santos and glover jashera Mm -hmm. but they have not announced what's next for reyes and blakovich i think you could potentially see an interim fight if this jones thing jones thing drags out because as of a you know a couple months ago he was like look i'm not happy with what you're giving me so i think he could play a bit of hardball with the ufc as we wrap up here if we are looking monday morning at a uh an MMA industry post Daniel Cormier. What are you going to look at as certainly we, everyone is going to remember the fights with John Jones. I would say that this, this trilogy with Stipe Miocic really rivals it in terms of just the, the competitiveness and what these two have been able to do. But what are going to be some of the, uh, the hallmark moments of Daniel Cormier's career you look back on? It's going to have to be the heavyweight run as well, just with the fact that this was kind of unexpected, John. Like, remember, the whole thing was he couldn't beat Jones, and then it was like, you know, he's going to retire then, and then he goes goes to heavyweight, kind of unexpected move. I know he'd fought at heavyweight before, but that wasn't, I remember when that fight was announced with Stipe, it's like, oh yeah, I guess they could have done that. That makes sense. And he wins. Like, it was, like, I remember Stipe, I, I can't remember if he was a favorite going into that fight, but it was just like, I remember just the way he finished him, and then it was supposed to be Brock Lesnar. So I think the interesting part of Cormier's career, especially if he wins on Saturday, is it's like he finally did it because the whole narrative with him, you talk about the tragedies had in his life with losing his, his daughter to, uh, you know, not making the Olympic team to losing to Jones, who was on PEDs and all these other things for him to go out there and win the heavyweight title. That would, I think, be the, the story is that he's really been able to turn things around and, and achieve that greatness that we all knew he was capable of. So I think that's going to be the main talking point is just, you know, if he gets it done, if he doesn't, then it's just going to add to that narrative anymore that, look, he, he got close, but he didn't become the greatest ever. He had some good, you know, anecdotes. He's had he has a great career, very well respected by all the fighters but uh it, it would be sort of he came up short again uh, as far as that goes so yeah again so much on the line this weekend that's why i'm so excited yeah there's the, like a real incredible documentary there on daniel cormier when you look at all the different chapters of his life and especially like the last three years that have just 
created a whole new one in terms of his MMA legacy that Saturday's fight very much hinges on as well. Uh, before we get out of here, James, I do want to give you the floor to let all of our listeners know where they can hear more of uh, James Lynch. You are one of the, the busiest men out there. And I know lots of people when they're watching the Contender Series and they want to know who the hell is this guy? James Lynch has the answer for you because he's probably interviewed him. Yes. Well, first off, John, thanks for having me on. I always love catching up with you. It's good to kind of reminisce about the old days and everything and uh, really happy to see the success that you and Way have been having with post-wrestling. I love how you guys are doing your own thing and uh, making it work. I mean, you're really setting the mold for a lot of us, so it's been really fun to watch that. Uh, your audience can check me out. Uh, best way is Twitter or Instagram. Same handle, at Lynch on Sports. I'm always posting my content on there. I work for like 10 outlets. I was telling you that off air. I also you know, host a show with Chris Cyborg now. I uh, work for, I do a couple interviews for a couple promotions as well. So rather than spend two hours going through all my credentials that of who I'm working for, uh, just follow me there. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Lynch on sports. Uh, I post all my interviews there, so it's really easy to find all that. And uh, thanks for having me on, man. It was a lot of fun catching up. Last question, just as you know, we, we come out you know, in the midst of this pandemic, when we're talking 12 months from now, do you see the MMA media landscape shifting at all when it comes to making a lot of difficult decisions when it comes to the like we're still in the midst of this all and then it's going to be surveying the damage and i think a lot of media outlets are going to get hit and do you feel like the mma space of the the sports bubble uh, could get impacted there when it comes to coverage it certainly could. You know, when this first started, I didn't think that was going to happen because, uh, you know, seeing people still do work. And then we started hearing about the furloughs and then people like myself, I lost my job. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it was necessarily COVID related, but I, it certainly has impacted everyone. And you're seeing a lot of people get let go. I know the athletic went through a bunch of yeah. cuts. I think it's really the one thing I think it's really going to test a lot of media members is how creative can you be? How can you survive in this industry? And I think the people who are, you know, pivoting and finding ways to make content or to, you know, to write or to produce video stuff or whatever are going to be the ones that are going to be there in the end because now you can't just get away with doing one thing. you got to be good at everything and you got to find different ways to create content and to keep people engaged. So I think that's really what the test is going to be over the next couple months because I don't think it's going to get any easier. I, I don't, you know, I don't have any metrics to back that up. I don't know how the sites are faring, but, you know, obviously uh, people aren't getting to travel as much. People aren't getting to do, to do as much as they'd like. Um, but, uh, but yeah, going to be very interesting. But like I said, I think the, the ones who are going to survive are the ones who have been able to adapt and be versatile. And that's, that's something to keep an eye on. Well, I tell anybody, you are a blueprint to watch because I think more and more the future is going to be people that are self-sufficient and maybe you'll go work to different outlets, but you have your home base. Like everyone, yeah. they are searching for James Lynch. It's not so much uh, what the name is underneath your name. It's people are following your content and you might work different places, but the consistency is you. And I think that that is where a lot of the media industry is going of people that will be on their own and just, uh, people will follow the personalities um and it's the brand it's the brand you know i'll just mention this quickly you know two people i think do such a good job of this and they've sort of helped me kind of mold where i'm at luke thomas who's done a great job with his brand uh you know i know he's, he's not everyone's cup of tea but credit to luke for building up his channel and you know having the smart idea of you know doing a serious show but also putting your video clips on your yep. channel and really treating this like a business a lot of media members are going to start treating this like a business i know i am already i'm already you know adding sponsors to some of my videos and things like that and trying to find different ways to utilize my content the best we can and the schmo, you know, this guy got a lot of shit last year. 
here, let's be honest, from, you know, media members being like, what is this? It's like a Nardwar in, in MMA, but credit to him. He's, he does everything himself. And I know just from talking to him, cause we've had a lot of conversations, the guy's well-researched, he, he hustles and he's, he's creating this new mold of creating his own channel, but having sponsors sort of make a living for him. So keep an eye out for people like that. People like myself really, uh, you know, building a brand and, and really, you know, not making it about the outlet, making it about the brand themselves. That's going to be the people who are going to be there in the end. Well, James, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, waiting, uh, I will say on behalf of him, he, he says hello to Kermit from afar. So we, uh, <laughs> we, uh, wish you all the best. You're welcome. <laughs> I didn't want to get out of there. I, I feel like I nag you with that one, but it's such a classic. So, uh, continued success with all your great work. And we will be back Saturday night live, UFC 252 post show with myself and Phil Chair Talk, which you can watch live right after the main card, youtube.com slash post wrestling. So go hit the subscribe button on that and follow all of James Lynch's great work. Lynch on sports on Twitter. The man is just a fountain of information and he's probably done 10 interviews already today with 15 on deck. So check it all out. Thanks again, James. Thank you, man. Appreciate it.